this was a conversation that I've been dying to have for a really long time because Francisco Arizmendi was the first guy that I saw really executing community creation for business development at the scale that I really thought was possible in 2019 and had never seen. And by that, I mean multiple live events across different cities across North America, a content stream that fully rolls into it, a smart sponsorship package of uh, trade shows and conferences that made a lot of sense. And it was just really, really impressive. So I've been dying to have him on this show to really break down what he did for FreshBooks that was so impressive, so impactful, and he did a really great job at this. So everything from how it started, how you how you just start the community to get to doing live events, to get to doing the content, the ROI on it, the pitfalls of it. It's a really, really comprehensive playbook on how to go from zero to multi-city community, which I can tell you now that I have done it for JWB, it's kind of, it's very, very similar, right? So I, I see a lot of value in this playbook and I know you will too. This is, of course, a live internet talk show where folks from our community show up and ask questions and are a part of the conversation. And it was followed by our relationship-driven growth strategy sessions. And I hope that you go into the show notes, just click in, put it on your calendar so you join us one Monday afternoon. And uh, if you got time, just be there. But throw it on your calendar. I hope to see you there so that you are part of the conversation and you get to meet people like Francisco Arismendi. But for right now, enjoy the genius of this man, Francisco Arismendi. If you know how it is, then you know how it might be. But think what it would look like if you grow your own community. It ain't easy. That's why you're listening to hear experiences from others just like you and me. Welcome to the B2B Community Builder Podcast, a show that was started because if you can unlock the power of having a community around your business, then you will create a source of referrals, validation, marketing content, and product feedback that will be unbeatable. But who has time to think about building a community when you need to be making sure that your team has what it needs to succeed in serving clients and bringing in revenue? That is why we'll be talking to business leaders like you and I that have cracked the code on why the community play is so valuable, how to implement tactics that got them there while still serving short-term goals, and what they can teach you that they have mastered. This show is for you if you are a CEO, CMO, or simply a rainmaker that has realized that without a community, you are just a commodity, but haven't figured out how to add it to your infinite list of priorities. This show is for you if you are a community professional or trying to be a community professional that is trying to convince leadership about the need to invest in a community strategy. This show is not for you if you think transactions are more valuable than relationships. I am your host and chief executive connector, Pablo Gonzalez, co-founder of BeTheStage.Live, a marketing company that specializes in relationship-driven growth. I invented the relationship flywheel and hopefully... I'm your new best friend. So smash that subscribe button, leave a rating when you do, and get ready to plug into the power of community creation for business development. Let's go. Welcome to the B2B Community Builder Show. I'm your host and chief executive connector, Pablo Gonzalez. We're in season five, 
This is episode 189. This is a conversation that I have been dying to have, right, Francisco? I was just telling you this, man. When I first embarked on my own to start a business and I took a 90-day purposeful pause and I started just like iterating through who I want to be when I grow up and like think what I want to reverse engineer and I come out of it with this language of prove community creation is the future of business development. At that point, I only had two data points. I had this like stuff I had done with charities and the stuff I did for this like software company on a Facebook group. And I had this grand vision of being able to put it all together in live events, in content streams, and 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 show up to conferences with, you know, somebody that shares the stage and and champions others in a way to bring people together. And when I walked into this room at Podcast Movement 2019, and I saw Francisco Arismendi on the stage, and what he was doing with FreshBooks at the time, it immediately just like was a kick in the teeth of like, this guy is doing it. This is this is the model. These are the motions. This is for an accounting software. This is real. And it filled me with inspiration. And at that point, I wasn't a podcaster, right? I'm 189 episodes deep, but it inspired me so much to start a podcast. I even applied to host this podcast. And here we are having this conversation that I've been wanting to have for a long time. The, you know, one of the, the my first community builder, business developer crush that I've ever had. And I get to call him a friend now, Francisco Arismendi. Welcome to the show, my man. Hey, thank you. And thank you. And hello to everybody. Good evening, good morning, good afternoon, wherever you are in the world. Thank you for joining us. I am equally as excited. Like Pablo said, we met at a conference years ago. And from that day on, we, we've always kind of, our lives have crossed paths and we've, we've been wanting to do this and have this conversation for a long time. So I'm, I'm incredibly grateful. Thank you for those wonderful words. And uh, yeah, the pleasure is all mine. All right, man. Well, let's, uh, you know, I'd like to, I also like to welcome the community, right? We got, we got some, some folks here in the, in the chat already checking in. I love it. Lee Bishop, the MVP of the Natural Average Investor Show community, who is, you know, uh, uh, become a good friend of mine. The first community that I built for a business as well. Ryan welcoming everybody. Ryan's a community manager. She's going to, if you need anything, if you need a, like a link to anything, let her know, Francisco, we can pop that up there or anybody else that wants to share anything. Lori Goldman, who I can't wait to hang out with and CMX. Lori is, uh, we were just talking about connectors, man. Lori is an incredible connector. Kira Leskew, Kira, who I got connected with by another super connector and uh, love seeing what she's doing. She's a, she is, man, she has perception beyond our realm, man. She's a, she's a fascinating person. She says she's been to your head office for behind the scenes tour. Don Bates, she is an Oxford PhD candidate. I'd like to brag upon that. An amazing author, a fighter for human rights and equality. We got Mandy Rushton saying, hi, Paco. It's been ages. Mandy, welcome to the show. I guess that's an old friend of yours. Deb Shell, who is a expert community strategist as well. She's an expert on platforms. She's a former journalist and she's done amazing things. Who else we got here? All right. Scott Wilder, just a regular, uh, you know, Silicon Valley legend over there, Scott Wilder, who we're going to, I'm going to see in a couple of uh, weeks here. Scott, good to have you here as well. And of course, past star of the show, as well as Dev. That being said, use the chat, make a friend, change it to everybody. So it's not just hosts and panelists. Use the Q&A if you want me to like incorporate into the conversation so that I don't go cross-eyed trying to keep track of the chat. But Francisco, man, I want to dive right into it, man. What At that point, you know, you are now, you're at Superside being, being charged to create a 
community of creatives, right? And I am super fascinated by that. We're going to get to that. But when you appeared on my scene, you had built and were in the process of, you know, building even better this community for a software called FreshBooks. That's like an accounting software for freelancers and solopreneurs. And I would love to, I would love for you to, I want to make this episode like a case study of how you did this stuff. Right. And then, and then we can end with, with SuperSide and what you're going to do there. But like when, when you got brought into FreshBooks, like, like at what point did community become a directive? What was the, what was the goal at first and how did you get enlisted into it? Awesome. Yeah. I'll start by prefacing and I'll say that, you know, I was lucky enough to be at FreshBooks for almost eight years and to pretty much build a, a little life career in there. And uh, throughout that time, I had the opportunity to work with wonderful people. So today you're going to hear me talking about what we built. I can't name everyone that was part of this, but you know, uh, it's not all of my authorship. I had the privilege of, of leading community and what we did in the last number of years. But there were great people, a lot of people that influenced that and a lot of people whose genius were part of that. Uh, some of them are even here with us today, and I'm super stoked about that. But yeah, uh, you know, FreshBooks is a wonderful place. Like you said, it's, a, it's an accounting platform for small business owners. And that in paper sounds incredibly boring. So when I came on board, the idea was to create a, a, a space and reconnect with a lot of our customers. So when I joined FreshBooks, like it had already existed for about 10 years. And there's already been a history of incredible things that were done at FreshBooks uh, to connect, to make a difference, to really position the brand at not just an accounting software, but really an ally of the small business owner. And, you know, for a reason the, the, that had stopped for a number of years and, and our CEO at the time, Mike McDermott, who is also one of those like geniuses that I credit this incredible work. And he he did a lot of the like, work of, of believing in this type of you know approach, this wacky, unconventional, out of the box thinking. And he brought me in with the CMO at the time to reignite that and reconnect with our audience. We had been growing exponentially for the last number of years, and, and we wanted to really reestablish FreshBooks as a thought leader. So, you know, I, I was able to work with a wonderful group of people and uh, take a lot of the, the book that we had that had already been written about FreshBooks. And, you know, uh, one of the first things we did was retake a very simple idea that I think is genius. And I and uh, this is not my idea, but it was called the, the customer dinners. And this was every time we travel to any place for a conference, an event or whatever, We'd always reach out to the customers that were in that area and say, hey, come join us for dinner. We're going to be here for the night and we'd love to meet with you. There was no strings attached. There was no PowerPoint presentation, top of a party. It was, it was really just a, an opportunity to connect one-on-one -on -one with our customers and hear them out. And, um, and a lot of magical things happen in those very, very small, almost meaningless, you would say, interactions. And those that we started seeing a common thread of how people were really yearning for a space where they can connect with each other. All of a sudden, 10 people that are complete strangers, they're all in the same boat, they're all entrepreneurs, and they're connecting and, and, and forming these really wonderful interactions and, and things start happening. So that kind of sparked ideas of 
we should do something about it. And and we were, you know, we worked on it and, and we decided to create an event. And the idea of this event was simple. It was like, let's bring in entrepreneurs into the same space and have a conversation about what making a living as entrepreneur is. And hence how the event was called, I Make a Living. And, you know, because everyone makes a living in a different way. And that was it. That was the premise of everything that happened after that. We started with the event and our first event was in, in LA and it was a very small event. It was in, a, in an old photo studio out of Melrose. We had a great group of people and we had no idea at that point what the response was going to be. And that was kind of like the, the, the first seed of start building community. And, and and it goes through like there, there's a, a great startup founder. He's like a serial startup founder, Seth Radman from Atlanta. And he always says, when you have an idea, you have to work as fast as you can to get to your MVP and just put it out there and start getting feedback. Because if you keep working an idea in your head, it stops being a right idea and starts becoming about you and less about who you're going to put it out. Right. So. The idea of doing the event and, and where we did it, and I have a picture. I'll share with you a picture we have actually, because I, I love that picture of, of that first event. Actually, let me let me see if I can. I'll grab it cool. now. For you. Yeah. Um, well, while you're looking that up, I, I kind of want to just break down a couple of things, right? Like I, I really do believe that the low hanging fruit for most companies is the re-engagement with their clientele, right? Like I, I, I really when what I see in the clients that I launch is this idea that they have been around for a little while. They've had some success. They've proven their value to people. And then you, you naturally lose contact with people, especially if you go through a growth period, you've gone through some evolution, right? It, it's, it's like a heavy load to go back and tell everybody exactly how much you've grown, all the different things you have, right? Like all these different things. And I just see, I see such a low hanging fruit of re-engagement with people that you've made happy. That's essentially networking, right? It's like, it's the touch points of just like, I hit you up like one to three times a year on LinkedIn just to say what's up, right? Like to to have you remember me and this idea that if you're, when you're a company and you have a presentation somewhere or, you know, your, your team is going to be in an area to invite like a small note of clients out to dinner, I just find that genius, right? So I I, I wanted to touch on that to begin with. And then it sounds like, the positive feedback from that was the signal that gave your team at FreshBooks this idea of like, you know what, why don't we, uh, why don't we get a little bit more deliberate with this and have some kind of event, right? Is that is that kind of what I listened to correctly? Totally, yeah, yeah. Community building, in my opinion, is about building relationships, right? And it's it's our arm, it's that muscle that traditional marketing is not going to give you. You're you're really trying to connect with an audience in an authentic and honest way and provide a value beyond whatever product or service you're offering. To me, that is what community building is all about. So this, this initiatives that we created at FreshBooks were, were exactly that. It was how can we add value to our customers beyond our accounting software? And how can we build a relationship so that they know that we truly care. Because, you know, at the time, at any given time, you're competing with big companies, you're competing with a lot of dollars, you're competing with very powerful, strong marketing and advertising. So you have to find a way to 
connect with the audience in a way that you build that relationship. So this, the community does that for you. And, and that's what I've learned. That's what we've done. And, and it's been wonderful to see the power of that connection that you build when you, when you truly add value to your customers. Love that. Um, did, you, did you find a picture? I have a picture. I want to go back to my story. Uh, <laughs> all right. So this is our first event. I love this picture because when I see where the event ended and where it started, it really tells a journey of, you know, where we did. And this was a great learning experience for us. We we didn't really know what we were doing. We put out this event. And like I said, it was an old photo studio. We put in all these like things that, you know, the branding is not great. There's just the banner hanging. Chairs on the stage are like very uneven sizes. Uh, that was my fault. So yeah, I thought it was very like artistic until people sat down and then I was like, shit, like this guy looks like he's sitting on a toilet and the guy looks like way too tall. It, it was terrible. But it was something really amazing happening at this event. And it's like we started really understanding what the place of I Make a Living was in all of the offering. And it wasn't really so much about what was happening on stage. It was great what was happening on stage, but it, it truly became about the connection between the members and how they you know, waited and stayed after the event to chat and mingle, interact. And it was like an hour or two after the event would pass and people would still be there connecting and saying, there's not a lot of places where I can meet other fellow entrepreneurs. And, and this is pre-pandemic, right? Like this is before the world stopped for a moment where really only small businesses and entrepreneurs worked from home. Most of us at that time went to an office work, wore pants every day for some reason. And, you know, we didn't really know or experience the isolation that the average entrepreneur goes through when they work by themselves. So this space was a catalyst of connection, of ideation, of mingling, of friendship bonding. It was really, that was the magic of I Make a Living. And, you know, at the beginning, we, we started nurturing that. And, and with time, we started really understanding what the power of what we were doing is. And this goes a little bit in, into something I said at the beginning or in our promo video is that sometimes you may have an idea of what the community or the audience wants, or sometimes you want something out of the community, but it often turns out not to be that way. And with I Make a Living, we learned that. We, we had to make a lot of course adjustments throughout the way until we finally nailed down, okay, this is it. This is what people are looking for. You know, we thought people want this event to be in the morning because they're entrepreneurs, they're freelancers, they don't have a schedule. They can sure give us the half of their morning to come and see this. And it, it was a real struggle to get people to come. And when you started talking to them, they were like, no, man, it's in the morning. It's on a Wednesday. Like, I have things to do. So we decided, hey, let's flip the event and let's do it at night and see what happens. And boom, like it changed. Like we went from an average of like 50, 60 people to five, 600 people attending each event in every city and growing. And wow. You know, we 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 went to, okay, let's do like a heavy programming on stage. Let's do a panel, then let's do a keynote. And and it was long. It was too long because people, what they really wanted to do was to connect. And, and so mm -hmm. we shortened the content of the stage and we said, okay, let's 
Let's just do a 30, 35 minute panel and then let's open the floor for Q&A and then let's just try to help people connect. So we had initiatives, we had dynamics to really start building. And, and that's, to me, that's really where the, the event took off, where the magic started happening. And fast forward, you know, like two or three years later, the event really became something completely different. We were now selling out in every city we were going, we were bringing in really amazing guests and it became a valuable asset. And, and that's because we found the value proposition of I make a living. And that's something I often talk to when, when we're talking about community building is you have to understand the value proposition of what you're going to offer. You cannot replicate or do what other people are doing because that already exists. You have to find what is the unique offering? What's going to make people want to spend time with you? Whether it's an event, a podcast, an online community, a forum, whatever your medium is, you have to find the angle that's different because that's what people are looking for. There's good in benchmarking, right? There's a lot of great things. And I'll give you an example. I think I really admire what Ben Lang is doing with Notion. I don't know if you follow Notion's community. Yeah. I think it's fantastic work. And oftentimes I was approached and say, hey, can we can we build Notion's version for X? I was like, no, we can't because that already exists because that works for Notion. You know, like I can take certain elements of what I think Ben's doing really great with, with Notion, but we, we it may not work for your audience and it may not work for what you're looking for. So you really, really have to work on your value proposition before you start like thinking of a community as, as a medium for, for growth. Love that, man. Love that. And it's such an underrated piece of advice, right? Like I, I put a, oh, okay. Can you unshare Paco? So we can uh, see your, your fresh new haircut a little bit better. Um, <laughs> looking good. Such an underrated piece of advice. I, I recently, it hit me, man. Like most people, when they go to, they buy a book on community building or they buy a book on marketing or they buy a book on whatever, and it's like first three to four chapters are just like, know your audience, get to know what's valuable to them, figure out what's valuable to them, bring it to them. And then the book goes into whatever specialty and people love to obsess on chapter five through 12, right? And they don't, and they, and they love to skip over chapter one through four when it's really getting to know your people and understanding that value prop. So I, I don't think you can say that enough times. And I love that. I love that you brought that up. Oof, that was a golden nugget right there. I'm going to have my team clip that and paste that across all my social media channels. So if you could just give this a pause right now, go into the show notes and connect with me on whatever platform you like to follow me on Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, whatever you want to be a part of my life in connect with me there. I'm going to share that clip and you can share it with your friends so that they get the same lesson. It'll be adding value to their life. And while you're at it, go ahead and subscribe to the show if you haven't already. Hit five-star review, right? You don't have to leave a review. You just got to hit five stars. If you want to leave a review, cool. And maybe send the episode to your friend. That would be awesome. That's it. I'm done. Back to the show. What I would love to do is go into a little bit of the kind of how it went from that one room with like a toilet looking chair and whatever to these, a bunch of great rooms to the evolution of also putting in content as part of it. And I guess my question is, cause I have in the audience, right? Today we have 
my buddy Sharon Joseph, who is the first person I ever built a young professionals community with, right? Like we've been through it. We got Jen Filson, who is the fairy godmother of the Not Your Average Investor community. She's the one going city to city, kind of like starting up like local chapters like y'all did at FreshBooks. And it's hard to get people to show up somewhere, <laughs> right? What was what that first event, you know, like you and me have talked about, like you, you had a couple of tricks of your sleeve of like getting people to show up. You had a, you had an email list, but you also kind of partnered with other kind of like local things. How did, how did you get people to start showing up originally before word got out about how sweet this event was? Yeah. Yeah. And just touching a little bit on, on what you were saying earlier, I think another thing about community building and like another debunk myth is like, it takes time. It's not going to happen overnight. Community building is about building relationships. It's about building meaningful connections. And that, like anything in life, takes time. So especially businesses, brands, you know, they're like, we want a community and they expect to see results in two to three months. Like they're they're going to have a really hard awakening. It's not going to happen. You know, I was speaking a couple of weeks ago with a fellow named Pramod, he's the founder of Threado. And he was saying, you know, it could take anything from six to eight months to start seeing the return on community. And and that's true because you have to lay the ground the groundwork. You have to start laying the foundation. You have to start attracting those like super fans, those people that are going to really help you build. And then from there, you start building, you start adding more people, you start adding more dynamics, et cetera. But that takes time. So if you are a brand that is looking to start a community, just know that going into it. It is not a short-term investment. The ROI is not going to come right away. When it comes, it's fantastic. And it's probably one of the strongest ROIs that you can have because you're going to build life-lasting relationships with the people that become your fans. You're going to get word of mouth marketing, which is something, and, and you have a video of me saying that too, like it's something that you cannot buy. And it's one of the biggest, most amazing lessons I've had in my life is the power of word of mouth and how strong and how much it can do for you as a brand when you when you truthfully earn that. And you have to earn yeah. word of mouth. You can yeah, buy totally. it. Um, totally, totally. I just, I just want, I got to add this one thing that I thought was genius, right? Christopher Lockhead talks about like, it's not product-led growth. It's word of mouth-led growth. Like no matter how good your product is, word of mouth is the only thing that's going to make it happen. So I, I couldn't agree more. But yeah, give me, give me a little bit more about how you got people to show up. Yeah. And again, I heard a lot of this to some of the great people I work with, like Saul and, and like other fantastic folks of FreshBooks. But we we had different tactics. And in, in one of those where, you know, every time we went to a city, we we did a lot of like what Mike McDermott, the founder of FreshBooks said, it's like the, the hand hand to hand combat, you know, one to one combat. And it's it's planting little seeds that again, they're not going to see results right away, but eventually you're going to start, you know, getting all those results. And so we we would go to organizations in 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 like the cities. We would go to, you know, entrepreneur groups, we would go to female entrepreneur groups, we would try to find, you know, the spaces or other existing events and start leveraging or that and start really again showing the value product of what we were offering. And a lot of the times when people understood what we were doing, they were so happy to help us grow it because they saw the value, right? And, and that goes to, to what I was saying earlier, like the authenticity and the value that you offer can speak volumes when you're trying to recruit people. If people see the value, if people see this is honest, this is authentic, 
and it's going to give something, they'll be so more more than happy to share those things with with others. So we were very fortunate. We were able to to build relationships with, you know, anything from like the freelancers unions to like the AIGA to like other companies started like Wealthsimple and, you know, co-working spaces, et cetera, et cetera, that really started like kind of rallying behind what we're doing and sending their own people there and say, hey, this company is doing something cool. You should check it out. And like just how, how do you build those relationships? Like you're like emailing somebody saying this is going to happen. And then you're like showing up and buying them lunch. Like how do you, how are you building that relationship before you get there? It, it's not as hard as you may think. You just need to ask and you just need to knock doors. We did knock a lot of doors. We did email a lot of people. We would intercept them at an event, you know, and like offer them like, yeah, hey, like we would love to talk to you. Like, let's have dinner. But, you know, I, I, I had a great colleague who like anytime we travel, we say I book my calendar from 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. when I'm in New York, because all of the time I'm there, I'm just going to be hustling, 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 hustling getting those meetings, getting in those rooms, getting in those conversations. And it's true. Like it really is that little one-on-one combat and asking doesn't hurt and they don't charge you for asking. And I've, I've learned that in my own career, like in, in, in everything that we do, like 97% of the guests that I had on the show, on the event, on the podcast, we didn't pay them a cent. We asked them and they were like, yeah, I'd love to be part of that. And all we had to do is, have, and we're talking about big names. We're talking about your Pat Flynn's. We're talking about like, you know, like NFL players. We're talking about like uh, influencers. Influencers, like I remember Sarah Dici, like she has like a huge channel in tech and we had her in New York and she normally would charge 20 grand, but she, we asked her and say, hey, this would be really great. Like, would you be interested? Like we didn't even put money on the table. And she was like, yes, can I come? Like, can I be part of it? And, and, and. People were just happy to to come through. So again, offer something that people see the value in and they'll be more than happy to join and be part of it. What, what do you think the value to Sarah? Like when you asked Sarah, I imagine you were in her city, right? And then did you send her a note and be like, look how cool my events are? Like, did you send her like a produced video from like, check out the last event, how great it is? Or like, did she know who you were? Like, what do you think? Oh. What do you think rung out to her as valuable for her? Other than my mom, no one knows who I am. <laughs> No, I think that, you know, we we were honest. We say, hey, this is what we're doing. This is why we're doing it. We're not like shady, like we're not trying to be shady, like the as this part of our marketing efforts. But at the same time, we believe that this provides a ton of value to small business owners, entrepreneurs. We know that a lot of the people that come to the event follow you and admire you and would love to meet you in person. Would you be interested in partaking? You know? And oftentimes the answer is. Yes, I can. We had people that said no. We had people who said like, yes, for X amount of money or yes, but, you know, and and we would negotiate. But again, that was like the three, five percent. Most of the people would be happy to do it. And that to me was a huge, that, that was a huge awakening of how, you know, how much people are willing to give back when they can. And and we're often scared and say, oh, how am I going to reach out to Tim Ferriss? Like he's not never going to do it. Right. But Sometimes you just ask and, and they they may say yes. Makes a lot of sense, man. Early on, was there any, like the first people showing up and maybe the first kind of like round of the stuff before you really dialed it in, was there any kind of confusion between attendees and hosts or any of that? Was there any ever kind of like disconnect there of kind of like who's there for what and, and that you had to work through? 
Not really, no. Can you give me give me an example of what what do you think? You know, you you kind of said when 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 people were coming in like early early clients maybe doubting is this going to be a pitch fest why would i come or people coming to network but they're being more like programming and like how mm. you kind of massage the that type of stuff i think early on if it was an event i would get on stage usually mm-hmm. and kind of like lay it out and say this is why we're here this is what it is this is what it is not and this is why you think you should stay. And, you know, we're going to have a fantastic panel of, of entrepreneurs from your city to talk about what it is to make a living in your city as an entrepreneur. And then the rest of the programming is all about you. It's about you finding the value in connecting with other people. So I would do dynamics to connect with people. I would like help them like, you know, interact, like we have to lift the way that not everyone is comfortable with the networking, you know, and uh, I always say that the hardest part of networking is just saying hello. That's like opening line or just like icebreaker. It can be the hardest for a lot of people. I, I am an introvert in nature and I don't like saying hello to strangers. So finding that safe haven, safe environment where people can do it and kind of get that notch was really appreciated. And th- those kind of little things really set the tone of what the night was going to be. And oftentimes, most of the times, we we would end up having to like kick people out and be like, well, you really need to leave. <laughs> we want to go to bed. It's past midnight now. <laughs> and But, you know, it was always with great satisfaction that what we were doing was, was working. Awesome. Awesome. I know that Rand's hitting some. There's... There's some folks in the chat that are dropping awesome comments in the chat, but they're only speaking to hosts and panelists. So if you switch a little box to everyone so everybody can see what you're saying, that would be that'd be really great. That's Scott and Mandy. That's for you. Awesome, man. So it sounds like just being genuine is kind of is, is kind of the 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 interlocking theme of community here, right? I think so, at least for me. And I mean, I don't know for everyone else, but for me, what I found the most successful interactions and the the biggest growth I've seen with communities when you lead with authenticity, with honesty, and with the interest of your audience first. And, and that's your job as a community manager. You have to, I, and I often find myself in that place where like, you know, you have to fight back and be the gatekeeper because once community, and that's another thing, once community starts being successful, then everyone in the company, everyone in your business wants a piece of it, right? So all of a sudden there's a risk and now your event, who you, you've built with like sweat and tears, it was honest and authentic at its value. It, it now becomes a marketing fest of like, let's just do demos and advertising and like sales and blah, blah, blah. And you, your job as a community lead has to be like, okay, like, yes, but no, like, let's, let's, let's preserve what makes this special or you're going to lose the audience because people are not can I? No, I'm not. People aren't, <laughs> people aren't stupid. People know and they can smell when you know you're trying to just sell. And if and and they will they will they won't come back once you lose that trust. Once you lose that connection, and they start saying, "Oh, this is no," they they lured me once, and now they just want to sell me. Right? Like it's like the all inclusive timeshare conversations. Like, hey, get a free whatever, and then you get there, and it's like they're just trying to sell you a timeshare, and you're like, "No, I will never do this again." So, you have to you have to retain the the integrity, the values, and the foundation of your of your community, which will often result in you having to explain that to your internal teams about why you cannot 
put 15 blog posts a week or sales pitches a week, you know, and that, that can be a battle because, because at the end of the day it's marketing and it's spending, but it has to be done right. Yeah. Makes sense, man. That's an interesting, that's a great thing that nobody's ever brought up before, right? Like this idea that once it becomes this asset, everybody's going to want to take a bite out of it. And knowing that on the front end is probably going to help a lot of people build in their community on the back end out. So I'm glad that you brought that up. I'm going to ask one more question that I'm going to get into. We got a bunch of great Q and A. And then before we get into like, just uh, you're, you know, you're a content strategist, man. I want to, I want to hear about the content journey too, but uh, you, you talk about maybe, you know, maybe there was some tough times on like, once it becomes valuable and having to have this conversation, were there any, any lowlights, man? Like, were there any, were there any moments where maybe you were just like, Oh God, this community thing, like, I don't think I'm going to be able to do it or like I've done it and I think it's all going to go to hell. Like any, any like tough moments in this like beautiful journey of yours that, that you learned a good lesson from. I, there definitely were. There definitely are. And, and I think a live element of a community is like, it's, it's an, it's a living beast, you know, and you're going to have your highs, you're going to have your lows and you got to trust that when you go low, it's, it's, it's a wave and you'll be able to, to bring it back. We had moments where, you know, we would go back to a city and the response wasn't great. And we maybe understood, okay, we, we came, we did it, and we may need to change the approach for the city because it's no longer working for us. Whereas, and then we'll go to the next city and we'll have like two sold out like events like in a row or something like that. Same when we, when we moved in transition, the, the, I make a living into a podcast form. Like it took us almost two seasons to really see the podcast be what it was. And at many points where we're like, is this really worth it? We're not growing. Like we're not getting, but you have to be persistent. If the messaging is right, if some people are coming back, if people are appreciating what you're doing, you have to keep pushing and eventually you you break through and then you find those breakthrough moments. You have those wins and all of a sudden you're tell tell head, like again, back up and, they'll they'll come the next wave and why like it it's always like that with community it's it's never linear you know the path to success is not linear it's it's ups and downs and ups and downs and uh you just gotta trust your instincts and trust what you're doing and and also i i find like whenever i was in doubt whenever i felt this is not working anymore i would try to reach and and you know look at the people that were around me and say hey what do you think of this like surround yourself with people that are going to be there to help you, like whether it's in your team, whether it's in your, like, if you're like a solo community manager, like lean on your biggest fans, like ask questions, you know, like you have a community of people that are engaged, go and ask them like, Hey, what, what's working here? What can I do better? How can I involve it? You're, you have to keep that line of communication with your audience, with your team. Um, because yeah, there's going to be moments where you're going to need to make uh, adjustments and, and course corrections. Love it, man. Love it. I'm I'm actually talking about that that like getting feedback in the in our strategy session that's coming up right after the show that everybody's invited. You're invited to Francisco. One of, we always show up with like speaking points. One of the ones is how to do that. I've been going deep into how to ask the questions and how to research, and I got something to share. But right now, I want to bring in the Q and A from our community members, Lee Bishop, who has been studiously listening to these shows, and he is starting to talk about super consumers, which is something I'm passionate about. I don't know if you know that concept, Francisco, but the idea of like su- the super consumers of a, of a category tend to be like less than 10% of the actual market, but make up about like 
50 to 70% of the spending. And, and, and he's asking if you, if you sought out super consumers when you were doing this stuff, which in another way it could just be asked when you were going to certain markets to do events, were you looking for your best clients, your most involved community members to enlist them and create ambassadors, right? And any kind of like thoughts around that, that maybe you, you did. Yeah, I think, I think, there are key moments where you you kind of lean on those super consumers or your super fans in this like when building the community and somebody asking the questions like what are some like of the first five things you would do is like I would reach out to them I would I would those would be the first people that I would try to bring into the community because you already have that form like connection you already have that relationship they already like your product they consume it so they could very much be those first founding members of your community and help you with lift up and we did that in whether it was in, in like our podcast we had a podcast like email group we had you know like city breakdowns of like our customers so the way we built and and the way that I make a living, the event was built was at the beginning, it was an 80, 80, 20% between customers and non-customers. And, you know, the cool thing was that by the end of it, like after a number of years, that number had flipped, it was a 70, 30. So 30% of our customers were attending 70% of them were net new, meaning that's what I was talking about. Like our that legwork that you had done over the years starts to pay off because then people are coming from different channels that are, you're not necessarily controlling or owning, like whether it's influencers or, or whether it's through like friends, word of mouth, et cetera. And, and then we started pulling back from our own, from our own list of people and start relying or on, on our own customers. But at the beginning, a hundred percent, those were the ones who filled the seats where a lot of our customers was there like a magic number of coming back to a city a certain amount of times? And at that point you start seeing that was, there, did you notice any kind of correlation of like second, third time, fourth time, right? Like I see, I, I mentioned Jen, as she shows up more and more in, in certain markets, it's clear that it, it builds and builds. Is there, is there like a magic number where it starts to tip for you or any kind of correlation around it? Yeah, I would say after two or three times in the city, that's where we started seeing the flip. And that, I'm talking about after a year and a half, two of doing it. Like, mind you, the 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 I Make a Living core team was two, three people at any given time. So we could only do that many events in a year before losing our minds and sanity. So we we didn't really have the opportunity to to go that often to the cities we wanted to, but we we did you know, started seeing that over time. And, and, you know, another thing, and we didn't get to do this, but this is something that you and anyone can do is once you start establishing and finding those like local fans, those local like people, then you may, may want to start thinking about a, Hey, how do we scale this in a sustainable way? You know, cause you cannot run events or communities, but then you can start opening up those roles to people that are already super engaged with you that may be willing to be part of the community building and may be willing to part of owning some areas of your community. So the uh, chapterizing or start creating those like brand ambassador roles and start empowering them, start building playbooks so that they can start running things for you. It's another way of scaling that doesn't require you to like build a massive team like they're already there like it's like we said they 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 can help you scale your own community yeah awesome man all right deb shell so did were your events ever paid or were they all free events they're always free 
Always free. Okay. So Deb had a question about free event, about, about paid events. So we'll skip that. What would you say? What is your advice to be, you know, to like get a job as a community manager just starting out? Would you have any kind of advice for that? I would say look for an opportunity to start working with with someone who's already done it. Community management is such a relatively new avenue for a lot of companies, a lot of people, but it's hot. A lot of people are looking for community managers. So I would start saying, start getting involved with community, start learning and seeing how other people are doing it, start kind of learning the tips and the tricks and all those things. And, you know, a good a good place to be, like they are now junior community manager roles that are a little bit more like logistical and you start learning more of the, the day-to-day operations and that will eventually lead you to like strategizing and building more of like your own community space. But yeah, that's what I would say. Yeah, that's a tough one, buddy. Good, uh, good, good answer. Here's a good one, right? So here's uh, an anonymous question. First of all, they say that you're an inspiration, and I agree. But he says these events look really expensive, right? Like 10K, it looks like easily 10K each. Did you, uh, first of all, were they really expensive? And did you see the return on investment from the stuff? Yeah, they were expensive, uh, you know, and, you know, I am plenty aware that not all the time and not everyone has the luxury of being able to have a fresh books budget in their in their marketing. And but I think there were a lot of things that we did with very few resources and that you can do to get the same result. And, you know, one of our goals uh, and one of the, the things that I really appreciated about FreshBooks was that. Mike always really protected the the integrity of the event for what it was. We weren't really attached with a lot of marketing KPs or or OKRs that were like lead generation, like things that more traditional marketing would look for. We were really working on the brand engagement, the brand growth. So for our particular case, the, the ROI directly tied to the event was measured in, in ways that was not necessarily attached to sales. So it may not have been monetary like dollar to dollar, but we believe and we know, and like it was an event that was supported for many years that we were giving the brand, you know, intangible assets and content and other things. And a lot of the things that bring that all these events and community bring that are not measurable in dollars, but they are very valuable as a brand. This is the second time you bring up content and now I got to take a bite. And, you know, I'm, I'm a big, I'm a fan of content. I think the, I think the intersection of content and relationship building is the most, you know, efficient way to really start drawing in this whole like community motion. What role did content play early on? Like, were you all making videos so that you could then show at the next place that it was such a fun time or did content start coming to the equation later on and how are you leveraging it? We, we realized that the event in itself was a source of a ton of content. And, you know, that's how I lead a lot of like everything that I do community or content related. So I always try to think about, you know, one piece of content or one like, core of content can give you five different streams of it. And, and you got to think of in that way, like, you know, this is an event, but it is also a video. It is also an opportunity to create a podcast. It is also an opportunity to create like customer testimonials, et cetera, et cetera. So one of the goals of creating I Make a Living was like, it really became a, a funnel of great content, like anything from a biteable, like 
30 second ad to like a full case study to videos to all these elements and all these assets that we created that were already like they were done by just hosting an event and and that again going back to the what's the value what's the return of this we were creating more content for the company and I don't want to say this like diminishing the work of the amazing content team there, but we were bringing in a lot of content when that was not really part of what we were tasked to do. And, and that's when you start thinking about events or podcasts or, or like all these interactions, they, they really become source of content for you. Yeah. Yeah. I love that, man. And, and I, I totally agree. That was my big unlock was the idea that you can inception community by promising content. <laughs> All right. So I, I I come at it the other way around and whether it is a live event or it is the podcast itself that you're using it in order to like drive that brand awareness, that's always like the value prop for the company is that, it, you know, the value prop for the marketing team is that, and then the engagement and re-engagement of like old pipeline or, or, or old clients for the sales team is the the first thing that we that we talked about as this thing builds. So I love I love that you went over that. Let's talk. So when did you when did you go full just podcast platform, man? What was the when you know when you were at podcast movement, you were announcing like hiring a host and all this stuff. Were you at first making the the podcast was the live event recorded and repurposed into podcast, and then you decided to go full podcast? What was the switch there? Yeah, I think uh, I wasn't really involved in the in the first iteration of the podcast, but the first iteration was that it was like, let's take the recording of the event and let's put it in into an audio format and let's share it. The strategy, the idea of was like, hey, we cannot go to 80 different cities in a year, but a podcast gives us the medium to share this incredible content that happened in LA and then spread it, you know, to, to more listeners across North America. When I inherited the podcast, what I did, like when I understood what I wanted to do with it was kind of extend a lot of the conversations that were happening on the event, but at a much deeper, larger scale. So the podcast to me was the exploration of the life behind successful entrepreneurs and, you know, without focusing so much on the business, but more on their journey, you know, the journey, the aha moment of like, you know, I was a host at a restaurant and I really hated my job and I had this thing for candles and, you know, fast forward to like 10 years later, Kristen is now the founder of P of Candle, one of the largest companies in the world for candles. And, and those, those really inspiring stories of how people build their businesses from an idea and the struggle really behind that. Because again, like going back to the nonlinear trajectory of success, people think, oh, you just built an amazing company one day from nothing and, and then became uh, this company. But like the, the reality is very different. A lot of times it involved a lot of failure. A lot of times involved a lot of like pivoting and, and hearing those stories for the audience was kind of that point of relatability because a lot of them were found in that moment where they're either about to start or just starting a business or not seeing growth with their business. So I wanted to, to create those stories and tell those stories of people who were in those shoes at some point and 
were able to figure out a way to find success. And the response was fantastic. The podcast, you know, grew to a, a top 10 podcast in business in, in the US, in Canada, in the UK. And, you know, we did four seasons. I had a, a wonderful host who, um, you know, I actually met at that event that you Demona. mentioned right? when I met you. Demona was, you know, an incredible addition to the team. And and it was it was a really fun journey. But and and when we talk about the community or like like all the assets we were building, like there was a there was a synergy and there was a you know commonality in the thread of like everything that we were doing. We were finding that uniform voice of the event complemented the podcast, complemented the online community, and then we we build that ecosystem of I make a living, and that's another thing like the consistency of your voice has to come across all the channels that you're going to, you're going to do a podcast, you're going to do an event, you're going to do a community, make sure that your voice and your messaging is consistent so that it feels unified. It feels like one, because then you build that as an ecosystem. I like thinking of it as an ecosystem, man. And I like the idea of these events are kind of like a floodlight, right? Like you shine a light on a space of, look, we're all, we're all like each other here. We're all looking for same things. We can all, you know, get together and then with the podcast, you're spotlighting people, right? So it's like this idea of the two the two sides of that sounds awesome. And Scott's saying, how did you handle this organizationally? Did you have one person manage the event, one person manage the podcast? You said it was a small team, right? <laughs> yeah, at any given time, it was three of us. I, I um, you know, I had a wonderful, wonderful team of, of colleagues who worked with me in it. At the end, I was managing the podcast as a producer. I was producing the events. I had a colleague who helped me produce events. But yeah, it, it was always a, a team effort and I couldn't have done it all by myself. But it at the same time, it was a very small team. So we were, we were very resourceful and constantly very tired. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. I want to talk about Superside for the for the last like 10 minutes before we go into relationship driven growth strategy sessions. You were now, you've had this experience, right? Like you, you did it, man. You hit the home run. You made like a super valuable asset of a community. You're now enlisted into starting, you know, this was for solopreneurs and 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 freelancers. You're now building a creatives ecosystem, right? Kind of like a marketplace play, if 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 I understand it correctly. Where do you start, man? Like what what are the like the top five things that you're gonna like dive into right now as you are building this thing? I'm yeah, I'm I'm super stoked. Superside is a fantastic like place. It's it's a place where where I feel the same level of creativity and and you know support for this kind of initiatives, which is why I, I decided to join and I feel incredibly grateful. I'm I'm building a community from scratch for them, and and this is really interesting because. It is not just a creatives community. This is the intersection point between creativity, marketing, and design, which is, is going to be fun because what I've learned, and this is one of the first things I'm doing, is I'm really deep diving into the two worlds, right? And they may sound as like, oh, design marketing are like part of the same, but you have no idea how they can how much they can par from each other and bringing designers to agree with marketers and marketers to agree with designers and kind of put them in a room that's that's going to be the fun part so it's it's building that intersection of of like creativity design and marketing and building us a, a place where they can learn they can grow they can support each other and and which is super size mission right we want to like globalize design we want to make sure that you know everyone has access to great design and we are enabling that through through a platform so yeah it, it's it's going to be a really interesting thing uh we're we're exploring platforms somebody asked about you know what what 
platforms that we can use. So yeah, we're, yeah, Mandy, Mandy asked the best platform apps, CRM databases to capture all the info necessary for your mega fans. Yeah, yeah, go for it. Answer that. Yeah, I'm I'm not too familiar with text to full, but you know, there are there, there are a lot of like CRM tools. If you wanted something more specifically to community, we are gonna be using a platform called Circle, which is a fantastic. It was, you know, it's founded and it's funded by one of uh, a good friend of mine, Pat Flynn. But you there's also a Tribe Community Platform, there's you know, my networks, there's vanilla forums, there's a lot of of, of communities, community platforms that, that work really great. If you're gonna be focusing on more of the creatives and more of the the small business owner, I highly recommend Circle. I think Circle is made for that. And that's the one where you're going to be finding our, our community. So yeah, we're, we're, you know, launching the community. We're going to be looking at, you know, the rollout and plan. And the one thing that I, I would recommend, and, and, you know, you asked me what is one of the first five things I'm going to do is I'm going to make sure that it is not a dead space upon launch. And, you know, a lot of, a lot of times communities launch and they make this big like announcement, like we're gonna we're gonna create this space for you to come and connect, and then people join, and there's nothing, you know. And so we want to make sure that there is programming, that there is going to be a, you know a series of events and things that are going to be constantly happening to nurture the interaction and 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 keep them coming back. How do you do that, Paco? Like, sorry, man, I keep calling you Paco. Francisco? Secret identity <laughs> being revealed. <laughs> I know, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Uh, for everybody that doesn't know, Paco is the nickname for Francisco in Spanish, and that's how I met him. How do you do that, right? Like, my trick, my trick for doing that, because I agree, you don't, I, I get this question all the time. You don't want to launch into a dead space. You need to have the Avengers already in the building so that you don't have to show up as Superman, right? Um, my trick has been launch a cohort online learning course that you can take 10 to 20 people on so that those 10 to 20 people, right? Like they're still in the audience right now, Jen and Deb and, you know, some, some, some of the folks that took our class kind of kickstarted this idea of having a, a captive audience that's paying attention to like my crazy brain and the people that I bring on. Right. What is your, what is your version of that? How do you, how do you ensure that there's going to be enough collaboration and programming and things? So one of the first things I'll do is, uh, you know, I'm leveraging a lot of what exists and the things that amazing things that are doing. So Supersize doing a lot of, you know, webinars or doing courses or doing uh, roundtables or doing all these things that, you know, I'm now going to be able to add on and say, hey, after you join, like like a webinar today, like if after you join this webinar, come join our community. So we're going to start creating those funnels and those drivers of leads. We're going to do a soft launch. So I'm going to try to bring in, like I explained, like what we talked about earlier, you know, those super fans that we have already identified, those people that are already really engaged with the brand. And we're going to try to connect with them and make them the founders of our community and incentivize them by you know, giving them that special like recognition of like, hey, you were supporting us from the very beginning. You are a founding member. You get experts or X access or whatever it is. There's many ways in which you can, you know, do gamification. You can do incentivizing. You can do a lot of dynamics to to really engage those communities at the beginning and start bringing people in. But definitely leaning leaning on our existing efforts, leaning a lot on on the super fans that we already have. Love that, man. Any any tips on getting qualitative feedback? It sounds like you spend a lot of time trying to find out what people want, which I 
believe in more than anything, <laughs> right? Like I'm actually, this is what I'm going to talk about at relationship driven growth strategies, but I'm reading this book called the mom test. That's all about like, if you ask your mom, if she likes something, she's going to say yes, bro. Like you got to ask a different question, right? Any, any tips, like, do you have any frameworks on how do you do qualitative insights or any ways that you reach out? Any, any, any things you've learned along the way that can add value on that? It's going to sound a little unorthodox, but you know, it's almost a little bit of a masochist approach, I would call it. But I often found the person that least believes in what I'm doing and I get their feedback. Whenever I want honest feedback, I I tend to lean on getting the people that may not be the biggest fan or supporters because I, you know, there's always going to be people that are like, are super like, yeah, this is great. Love, keep going. And those are fantastic to have, but there's also going to be some people that are like, man, I'm not sure. I'm a little bit more pragmatic. I'm a little bit more skeptical. So I lean heavy on those for the kind of raw, honest feedback. I kind of like put my armor of truth before I go into the room and and I, I ask because you want to have the full picture of what's working and what's not. And sometimes you need to hear the hard truth. Sometimes you need to hear the things that are working, things that are not. And, you know, that, that has worked for me. And I also like ask, ask people, you know, they like, hey, honest feedback, honest thoughts. What do you think is working? What do you think doesn't work? And, and, you know, people are often kind enough to give you what you need in an empathetic way. Just one question on that before we wrap up here and go, go rapid fire until you got to get out of here. That idea of asking people that are like me about you, to me, that makes, that makes a lot of sense, right? Like you read customer client, what is it? Buyer personas. Like that's, that's where the gold is, right? How do you get those people in the room? Like, how do you, it's so much easier to talk to the person that loves you right? Then the person that really doesn't care about you that much, like, do you, how do you get in front of them? Like, or how do you get them to answer your questions? I guess, you know? Yeah. I will always lead with the, you know, the notion that I appreciate their their feedback, regardless of whether it's good or not. So, you know, there's a couple of people come to mind. I always say like, Hey, Jimmy, I know that you're not the biggest fan of what I'm doing, but I really appreciate your input. I think you 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 know you have a lot of knowledge in this, and I would love to hear your thoughts uh, and and this. And what I would then do after giving the feedback or having received the feedback is kind of keep them in the loop of what's coming. Like, hey, you know, took that feedback into consideration. Here are some of the things that I'm going to do, or that we change, or why not. And then you really have like, you really, you know, show them that you care. And it was not just like a joke that you wanted their, their feedback. So next time you ask them, they'll likely, they'll likely interact with you again. Awesome. So how do people get a hold with you? What's, what's the best way to connect with, with, with Francisco these days? And how do we bring you value? Nothing says adulting more than saying, follow me on LinkedIn. But yeah, apparently that's where I'm more popular these days. So yeah, follow me on LinkedIn, Francisco Arismendi. You can find my name probably written down somewhere in this description. Um, and that's where I usually hang out. Uh, if you want to look at pictures of me and my kid, then follow me on Instagram too. I don't have an object, but you'll, you won't find anything useful there. And, you know, connect with us at Superside. We are on all the social medias at Superside HQ. And I would love to, you know, let you know, come back and, and share with you once we launch the community. It's going to be fantastic. Awesome. Awesome. All right. Francisco, before, before we get into it, man, I just got to acknowledge you, man. Like there is few things more powerful than cognitive bias, right? Like when you, when you see that something actually works and there's been very, very few times in my life where I've just like had to have been in the room 
for it to really hit me across the face that this thing really works and it's out there and it's what I want. And you represented that for me in a, at a, at a very crucial moment in my life, man. So I just want to thank you for that. I know you didn't do it on purpose, man, but like what you're doing out there affects people more than, you know, I'm really grateful that I've, that I've gotten to meet you, man. And I've been waiting three years to have this conversation with you. And I'm really, really pumped with how it came out, man. So just thank you very much. No, thank you. And, and, you know, those things or those pieces of feedback is what really is community building to me is all about, you know, like it's not for the, the fame and the fortune is to like, if we, what we do can have a, a bit of impact in your life, if I can make your life a little bit better, uh, that's the biggest reward. So, you know, I am the one who's grateful. I am so grateful that we had this combo and that, you know, we became friends from that. Awesome. Well, I really hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. If you are looking for more content like that, I know we spoke a lot about super consumers on that call. Episode 169 with Eddie Yoon talks about uh, going deeper into that super consumers concept, super powerful um, community tactic conversation on that one. Also, episodes 175 with Scott Wilder and 128 with David Berkowitz are other folks that have created communities within big companies. If you want stories kind of like Francisco's and what he did, 175 with Scott Wilder, 128 with David Berkowitz. And I'm going to give you my biggest takeaway now in a second, but we are officially in September. This is officially the insane world tour that I'm about to be on uh, starting here in a couple of days on September uh, 8th through 11th in FinCon in Orlando, Florida, then 14th and 15th September of September. <laughs> I'm going to Silicon Valley. Redwood City is the CMX conference. I'm going to be in that Northern California area from that Saturday through that Friday. So if you're around and you want to meet up, I would love to see you. If not, uh, I do have one extra ticket to CMX that hasn't been spoken for yet. So if you are in that area and you want to come to CMX, let me know. Uh, next week after that, we're going to Dallas-Fort Worth area on the 24th for the Badass Business Summit. Check that out. All these things are in the show notes. Uh, third week of September, Badass Business Summit is for small businesses. Uh, great conference, great community there. We had a bunch of episodes promoting the speakers. You can go back to the Badass Business Summit previews. You'll get a get a get a good sense of that. Um, and then after that, in October, if you are in the contracting business, right? Any kind of like subcontractor, general contractor, architect, engineer. Uh, my buddy Jesse Lane is doing his conference in, um, I believe it's the 22nd of October in Jacksonville. I would love to show you around Jacksonville. All the stuff is linked in the show notes. Now for the biggest takeaway from the show. You know, there was two kind of like bookend takeaways for me. One is, I'll start with the end, right? Like one is this idea that when you build the community, Francisco said, it becomes the biggest asset. And once you do it, Everybody wants a piece of it, right? So you have to go into it uh, smartly, already having boundaries around what, why it's worked, why it hasn't, so that once you get it going, uh, people can't just bastardize it and uh, and ruin what they did, what you've been working on. That makes a lot of sense. Um, that it's a the biggest asset, and b that that can happen. To me, the opportunity there is. If you build an asset like that, all of a sudden everybody in the company is going to want a piece of it. It's it's a total game changer for your career, right? Like 
uh, Francisco's trajectory after doing that thing at FreshBooks has completely changed. He's been able to be a community person forever. So it's really worthwhile to champion that thing, um, to build it if you can inside of a company, right? Like do it on your own time, do whatever you can to make that happen. Uh, cause it's not just for your company. It's, it's going to change your career forever. And two, he talked about it a lot, right? This idea that you need to figure out the magic sauce in it. And that only happens with action, right? You're going to, you might have an idea of what's valuable to your community members, but until you start serving them in some kind of community motion and interacting with them and understanding what they like and what they don't like and what's valuable to them, you know, until you get to that point of iteration, it's all just, you know, conjecture on your end and you've got to get there as quickly as possible. To me, the quickest way to get to that is to do what we're doing here, right? To start this internet talk show motion, start inviting members from your community to hear from other members of your community and people that are valuable to people in your community. So you start that, what he continued to call hand-to-hand combat without spending a ton of money, right? Just like engaging with them online, bringing them value, entertainment, inspiration, education, and introducing them to people the same way that we do here. That's why I'm so high on this internet talk show methodology. I really do believe that this is the entry point to community most accessible to people. And even we can do it here at BTS. We're a small company. We don't have a big budget and we've been doing it. It works. So I encourage you to take your next step forward in community, start, educa- start engaging with people. If you want to learn the internet Uh, talk show relationship flywheel motion that we're doing. We are starting our third cohort of our online class. In October, there is, uh, I think, only one more seat available at 750, and then it goes up to 997. So check it out in the comments, in the um, description here, or connect with me online. But we will be filling that thing up with people that uh, we are speaking to at CMX, with people that we're speaking to at the Badass Business Summit. It's going to be great. We've had great reviews, and this is your uh, first step into really understanding the value prop and creating all that content that you're going to be able to have. So I encourage you to join us in that. And last but not least, as always, got to thank my team, Rowan, who coordinates all this stuff. She even, today's Labor Day, right? She like hit me up like, hey, don't forget, you got to do the intro and outro. <laughs> She's really in charge of all this stuff happening. Thank you, Rowan JP, who is our editor extraordinaire, who makes the clips look amazing, who makes all this stuff sound so good. Really appreciate JP Nicola, who is, uh, writes a lot of the captions and writes a lot of these uh, the, the copy of how we, we describe all these things. Jade is our new content editor who's helping out also, um, making sure that the uh, subtitles are all correct. And she's starting to help with writing as well. Uh, gotta thank Gina, our chief heart officer, who is the queen of our culture and our processes, making sure everybody's in the right place at the right time on the right seat of the bus. Marge, who is the driver of her bus, she can't operate without her and is an immense help. Our other account managers, uh, Joanna, Joyce, um, and part of the team also handling the, the other clients and the different things that we got going on. Really appreciate you. And uh, of course, Rita, our content strategist, that without her, I'd have to be in meetings all day. She is handling strategy for clients and just absolutely crushing it. And our new um, our new member of the team, Philippe, is our new video editor as well, helping out. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And uh, I'll leave you with the thought that I always leave you. Never forget, relationships will always beat transactions.